This is The Politics of Everything, and I'm your host, Amber Danes. Welcome to the podcast where we want to discuss the politics of everything, from money to motherhood, nutrition to narcissism, startups to secularism, the environment to equality, and much more. Our guests are experts in their field or topic of choice, even if you've not yet heard their name. This is a bipartisan podcast. So while we love exploring varied views and get a buzz from a healthy debate, by no means is this a one-sided forum for any one political view. So please listen up and enjoy the politics of everything. They say that people fear public speaking more than almost anything, including dying. For episode 24, I'm sharing the microphone with Lucy Perry, who among her many charms is a professional speaker who gets paid to take the stage at business events all over the globe. Lucy is an award-winning leader, consultant and author who's become known for her bright pink hair and ability to shock and inspire in equal doses. She uses her talents for writing and speaking about leadership, communication, changing the world and creative thinking. I've seen her in action, so I'm especially pumped to chat to her today about the politics of speaking. Welcome, Lucy. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Okay, so let's step back in time. Where did your early career begin? My career as a speaker began in about 2004 when I wrote the world's first childbirth education program for men, and it's run in pubs all over Australia. And that forced me to really hone my presentation skills. It was a two-hour course, and I had a bunch of men in the room who didn't really want to be there, and I had to create content that appealed to them and deliver it at a pace that was nice and fast, full of stories and lots of fun. So I did that for six years, every month for six years, and then I was training other presenters all over Australia. So that's where it began, and that's that was a tough audience um, to hone Absolutely. my skills. <laughs> I mean, did you actually hear crickets? Were people like not talking, and so it was you for two hours? It was me for two hours. Um, uh, We used to break in the middle and have dinner and they'd have another beer and then they'd loosen up a bit and then there was more interaction in the second hour. Uh, But some of these men would show up, 80% were booked in by their partner and some of them would show up not even knowing what they were there for that night. So they weren't such a willing audience. (laughs) As a professional keynote speaker, usually my audience is pretty keen to be there, so it's a much easier gig. But uh, after after running that for years, I then sold that business and I became the CEO of a major charity. And when you have that little title CEO and you represent something pretty unusual, uh, I was getting invitations to speak. And that's when my paid speaking career really took off. Um, the most I've ever been paid in that when I was in a CEO role was $50,000 for one keynote speech. And all those fees went to the charity. So it was... Um, Wow. I guess they're expecting a lot for 50 Gs. <laughs> yes, they are, but they're also getting lots of warm fuzzies that their, um, that their speaker's fees was, was going to fund obstetric work in Ethiopia. Oh, perfect. So I guess for you, I mean, it sounds like you, you did a lot of the uh, hard yards yourself, but can someone actually learn to speak well publicly? And did you get any coaching at any, any stage of your career? I didn't get any coaching at all. I think that some people can get some training to fast track the process, but I did it by trial and error. 
And I honestly believe that people speak well if they are on stage and speaking just like it's a conversation. If they stand on stage and they are reciting or they stand on stage and they are presenting, your voice moves in really different waves. And if you just speak in conversation, your voice moves in a much more listenable way. Audiences find you more authentic if you just speak in a conversational way. And the fastest way to murder an audience is by reading to them. So um, I always say to people, don't read just be you. Uh, don't don't try to recite every word. Just have a conversation with your audience. And I was going to say, it's the best type of conversation. I'm a mother of three and I get on stage and nobody interrupts me. I get 40 minutes to have a really fabulous conversation with 300 or 500 people without interruption. It's an absolute gift. Um, so as far as learning how to speak, uh, I suggest people do it by trial and error and they just be themselves. Then there are some other little techniques I've learned about how to structure my speeches, how to actually pull together good content, but that's different to the actual learning how to deliver. I just say be yourself and trial and error. That's fascinating. So you share with us, I guess, your first uh, significant speaking event, um, being being paid a lot of money that went back into the charity I guess, what was the content of that and and how did you go about pulling that together? Like what was the process for you? You mentioned, of course, that you want to have a conversation once you're on stage, but before that, there's a whole bunch of prep that happens. So how did you go about that? Yeah, that's right. I take a brief from the client uh, or the event the event coordinator, I take a brief on what their themes are, what they'd like me to speak on. So most of my speeches, I start from scratch. So I go through this process every time. And then I need to know who's in that audience and what the outcome is that they want after that After that one hour. What do they want to hear? Do they just want to hear rollicking stories or do they need, has there got to be some learning wrapped around this? And once I understand who's in that audience, so it might be 500 mortgage brokers and they might want some general business takeaways of how to run their business, how to look at it in different ways. So I'm not there to teach them about finance. I'm there to teach them different ways to look at, at the way they're working. Or it, I get really different briefs all the time. So once I have that brief, then I've worked out that I speak in three-minute blocks. Um, I think it's because I have a short attention span and I bore easy and I've pretty much done a, um, done a point in three minutes but it's also your audience's attention span you know most songs are three or three and a half minutes long so it's a nice little chunk of time to make a point and tell a story so if I've been given 40 minutes to speak I've got about a one or two minute intro and a one or two minute outro and everything in between is cut into three minute sections and I make a point tell a story make a point tell a story so it's that simple as far as structuring my speech Back when I was speaking on behalf of a major charity, I had some really fascinating stories to tell and I had to balance between um, the horrors of the work that's being done and and the lighthearted side because you can't just drag an audience through the horrors. Uh, that's not entertaining. Um, I think the emotional roller coaster is essential. So if you're going to make people cry in your audience, you, sh- you really better make them laugh as well. So I structured my speeches so that the entertaining, the funnies, the laughs are nice and evenly spread through a speech. Never, ever end on a sad note. Always end on your best, most fabulous, hilarious, rollicking story. And then I always I always just recap. So I might have taught them in 40 minutes. I may have only focused on six or seven major points, but I, I really recap them just in one word, bang, 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 right at the end. Um, so that's how I structure my speeches. Now that I've been doing it for so many years, I limit myself to the time I'm on an aeroplane on the way to to give that speech, to actually structure the speech. Otherwise, it, w- it would just be, I'd let it 
become a huge job. So um, I, I do it quickly. I know my content really well so that I can speak from one piece of paper with just a few keywords on it. So that's how I work. That's what works for me. Wow, that's incredible. So there's definitely a bit of a process even for someone like yourself who sounds like you've had to just think on your feet a lot of the time and just pull it together. Do you know how many keynotes you would have done over the years? And you mentioned that you do them all from scratch, but do you have a few that you kind of can repackage for your audience? Yeah, I do. I think I've probably done, I had to think about this, maybe 300 speeches, maybe more. Uh, And I do have some um, old favourites I can always go back to, but I also have some really fabulous stories that illustrate great points. And so I can like you said, like repackage um, a series of stories, a series of points, and but pull that together under a theme that suits the event I'm speaking at. So I might be given transformation as a, as a theme and lots of really great juicy stuff can come in under transformation, but it needs some new work on that theme and then some really great tried and true stories and points that I know really well and I know the audience loves that I can pull together. So I'm not completely going from scratch every time. Um, I've also noticed in myself I practice my stories just in conversation and if a story or an illustration of something goes over really well in several conversations, I think, well, that, that'll go well in a speech then. <laughs> and that's how I... Yeah, that's great. So it's a bit of a litmus test, I guess. You can sort of try it on your family and friends before you have the uh, 500 people staring yeah, at you blankly. that's right. And I never try new content on 500 people looking at me. I've always tried it on the people around me. But I've also learned that the people who really love me find me really funny and they laugh at everything I say. <laughs> and so I've had to try. Uh, build a bigger network of people to sort of test things on because you know people who adore me think I'm the funniest person they know and that's not a very good test (laughs) no definitely not indeed how candid of you to share that I suppose um you know for you speaking is obviously been part of your career but it's also perhaps helped raise your profile so I guess how did speaking really become a career for you? I mean, a lot of people do a few speeches here and there, but they certainly don't make a living out of it. Yes. I I finished up my last CEO role and had done a lot of speaking when I was working with that charity, which was a Cambodian charity. And I just thought about what I really wanted to do next. And I love the speaking. I think I might be addicted to dopamine and I love the buzz um, of, Aren't yeah. we all? I love the buzz. Um, it's actually the buzz afterwards. I, I have a really good time on stage. I'm actually a bit revolting to be around for about half an hour before I speak. I love being on stage once I get into the groove and the buzz afterwards lasts for hours. And, and being on the speaker's trail, I meet the most amazing people, the other speakers, the people in the audience, um, the people I work with. And so I've decided that I would focus on speaking and I haven't looked back. I've absolutely loved it. It comes with travel um, and after travelling in places like Cambodia and Ethiopia, I will never say no to a five-star hotel. So (laughs) that's a really nice... Yeah, and then sometimes you're taken to fabulous places like Fiji and you're just forced to stay another night. So it's... um, Yeah, I I really enjoy it. Um, It challenges me. You can't... You cannot take these gigs for granted. You cannot show up at a speaking engagement unprepared. Um, I might sound like I wing it on stage, but I'm actually well prepared. And and I I just love the buzz and and especially the people, the people I've I've met. I've made really great friends who've been in an audience. They've come up afterwards and said hello and we've connected and we've wound up being great friends. So it's a pretty cool way to make a living and I love it. 
Excellent. So you found your calling, it sounds like. So what do you enjoy most about public speaking and how can we all learn to love the process a bit more? As I just said in my intro, um, a lot of people fear it more than even dying. They just, the idea of everyone looking at them, the fact that they might stumble on words. I mean, how do we actually learn to enjoy it if we're kind of newbies to the speaking? Group? Yeah, the um, two things. Uh, you have to know your content really well. So nothing is more frightening than going up in front of an audience to present something you don't know of by heart. So if you're having to refer to notes or read chunks of it, and when you're nervous, your eye doesn't flow down a page in a nice, neat way. Your eye will jump around the page. You'll lose your play. It is too horrifying for words to present something you don't know well. So that's number one is know your content off by heart. Practice it on the dog. Practice it in the – actually find practicing in the mirror impossible. I can't do it. Never on stage can I see myself. I can hear myself but I don't have to look at myself. So I say just practice it over and over until – All you need are one-word triggers to send you into the next section of your speech. So once you know it well, you'll be much more confident going up there. And the second thing I always say to people who are nervous about speaking is remember, when you go on stage, the audience loves you already. And that's because the audience does not want you to face plant because it is the most awkward thing for everyone to go through. The audience wants you to succeed. They're already behind you. They love you already. So I tell myself that before I go on. Before I walk on a big stage with a big audience, my heart is pounding so loud I can't even hear them introducing me. And I just figure they've said something that, that, that is great. And I'm standing there just telling myself, the audience loves me already. <laughs> I've just got to deliver what I know really well and do it authentically and uh, in a style that l- lets me correct myself. You know, if you screw something up and it's a very conversational way of presenting, you can always backpedal and go, I forgot to tell you the most important thing back there. And you can just wind back tell that bit, connect through and keep going on and uh, uh, it, 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 won't, um, it won't derail you. So those are, the, those are the things I recommend to people who are afraid of speaking. No, it sounds fantastic advice and so practical and I can actually picture you going through that process, those mantras before you get on stage and, um, you know, there's people like Amy Cuddy who've become well-known for the power pose um, that, you know, if you go into this pose before you go onto stage or do something really scary, you can actually change your mindset because you've changed the way your physiology is as well. So I think those sorts of things can really yeah, help. Yeah, I agree. Actually, one process. more thing. I, I've noticed that I need to focus on my breathing and I have to uh, consciously tell myself to breathe into my stomach. And this is just before I go on stage. Once I'm on stage, I don't think about my breathing. But before I go on, I need to breathe into my stomach and take some really deep breaths. Otherwise, I've noticed I can go on stage and do shallow breathing and I sound a little out of breath. So I've had to do that to um, take control of my breath and, and pace myself. That's a, re- that's a really important. Breathing is is great and also relaxes you and calms you, I guess, as well. There's all, probably some sort of, you know, physiology around um, why the breathing becomes key, I guess, to calm our nervous system and uh, and stop those little voices in our head going, I can't do this or I'm going to stuff up. So, yes, I think breath work is really, really key for many mm-hmm. things. So when you go to prepare, you hope it all goes well. But there are technical things that can happen or last-minute changes. Um, So do you have any examples of when that's happened to you and how you've dealt with it? It could be the change of the order, a speaker hasn't shown up, you're suddenly the first speaker or whatever it might be. How do you deal with that? I've had so many horror stories. I've had every possible thing go wrong. 
um, in events that, you know, I've showed up and exactly the kind of thing you describe or the audio doesn't work or there's um, that the, we're not going to use the slides that, that, that were meant to go with my speech because there's technical issues or whatever and you just have to roll with it. So I, I, don't, I don't expect any particular type of AV. If I show up and they give me a handheld mic, great. If I show up and I have to yell, I'll survive. If it's a lapel mic, I just roll with whatever they can do on the day. And I've learned to just get good at whatever type of AV is there. Uh, and you just have to roll with it because you can't, you can't fix some of these problems. And I've actually learned I no longer present with slideshows anymore. I was going to say that's one thing when I've seen you present, Lucy, I, I admire the fact you can not have even a visual really behind you. It's just you. Yeah, I used to feel obliged to do that because conferences would ask for your slide deck. So I used to think, oh, okay, I better whack a slide deck together. But I realised that that giving a slide deck, they usually want it three weeks before the event, and that forces me to have my preparation done far too soon. And it means I can't respond to things that might have happened in that three weeks. And it means that when I'm on stage, I can't respond to the audience and explore something more because the audience is loving it. I'm, I'm having to go in a lineal direction that's governed by a slideshow. So I dumped that um, a while ago, maybe two, or two years ago, I stopped using slideshows. And uh, it always makes event organisers happy. It's one less technical thing to get right. And then it means the focus is on me. I have to be a really good speaker and very entertaining to hold an audience's full attention with no video, no graphics, no words, um, keywords to keep them on track. But it, it, I think it makes my job easier as far as my preparation goes. Yeah, it's much far more. I guess it's just mainly, it's just you really. I mean, so in some ways people might go, oh, my slides are my crutch, but I know that I've worked, one of my clients um, owns a, a major presentation studio and um, she's a leader in what she does. And she just says like, people should only have five slides for a 40 minute presentation because it, they can't be the crutch. Yeah, that's they right. They have to be amazing yeah. if you're going to use them. And if they're not amazing, you need to chuck a few out. You know, they've got to be visual. They've got to be not reflecting what you're saying at the same time because then people aren't looking at you they're looking at the slides yeah that's right that's exactly right i think um one of the um uh, one of the common mistakes or, or things that i have to roll with on the day is that i show up and things have run well over time and so i've had a brief to give a a, a 60 minute presentation and they've said we're really sorry you're going to have to cut it to 40 so i have to do that on the fly and I know which, which stories or sections of mine I can tell in a tighter way. Or I'm told, far out, you can go for a whole hour, but we only briefed you for 40 minutes. And I think, fab, there's sections that I can speak on that I can just tell in more detail. I can, there's a great story. If I need a five-minute filler, there's this fabulous story. I know I can tell in exactly five minutes. So I just have to be super flexible and roll on the day. A slideshow would never let me do that. The other cracker I remember it was at Parliament House in New South Wales and I showed up and it was back when I was using a slideshow and um, there wasn't there was no I couldn't see the slideshow from where I stood the audience could see the screen but I couldn't and there was no clicker for me to use on stage so there was a person standing in the wing and I had to give them like a big obvious wink when it was time to progress the slide and I just had to hope that the next slide was the one I was expecting uh, and and I just had to, I just made a joke of it and I said there's been serious budget cuts here at Parliament House and they can't afford a clicker so I'd like 
like to introduce to you my human clicker and I drag this poor guy on stage. And so I'll be giving him big obvious winks to progress the slide and the audience just found it fun and it, and it meant they understood what was going on for me and it was fine. Um, so, I mean, maybe sometimes when there's, there's total cock-ups, it's, it's something you can highlight and make fun of and everyone rolls with it. Um, as long as your style is casual, it, it kind of gives you permission to do that. Yeah, totally. That's that's funny. Um, so I guess, can you share with us your favourite stage moment or crowd-pleasing story that works every time? So can we hear a bit of Lucy Perry in action? Obviously, we can't see you in your fabulous pink <laughs> hair, but we can definitely hear you. Um, I usually start with, a, a, with quite a pace. Nothing is more boring than a speaker coming on and just waffling. Oh, you know, thank you so much for having me. And oh, what a what a snore. And when you are speaking, every single person in that audience has a highly powered entertainment device in their hand. They can flick over to their phone the second you bore them. And I have a I have a short attention span, and I'm the worst for that. I'll sit in an audience, and if they come on and they start really slow and boring and do the mandatory thank yous. I'm already checking my emails and flicking through on my phone. So I start really punchy. I dive on stage. And um, I usually try to develop some kind of camaraderie with my audience. So if it's a bunch of people who've come together and they've got a day off work to do this this big workshoppy day or to, or to go onto this conference, I say, how cool is this? We get to wag work together. And that usually just gives some kind of camaraderie with your audience. They have a laugh because it's meant to be work, but we're actually having a really good time. Then I'm really conscious of their time. And I say, I have you for the next and it might be 60 minutes, 40 minutes, I have you for the next 40 minutes and you are never going to get that back. So I'm not going to waste your time. We're going to crack on right away. And I think audiences appreciate that I appreciate their time. Um, nothing is worse than sitting in an audience and you get a very clear picture that that speaker is not valuing your time. So I start nice and pacey like that. And if there are thank yous to do, I always do them at the start of my speech because I guarantee you I'll forget them at the end. So if there's people to thank, I do that, but super fast and, and try and keep it quite lighthearted. So that's how I... Not the Academy Awards where they go on and on and on. They have to like that on you or pull them. No, if there's someone to thank, usually I'll say, you know, thank you, Amber, for choosing me to speak today. Sight unseen, that was a very brave thing to do or something like that, um, just to sort of joke that they may not have heard me speak. But uh, so I start nice and fast, nice and fast and fun. Uh, I have a few stories um, that work really well and are always a crowd pleaser and I find the more incredible a story, um, yet it's something people can relate to, the more successful it is. And I've done lots of reading. Is there a little example you can play with for us? Um, but, well, there's one that in, takes in a couple. Of yeah, minutes. let me do a short, a short version. Well, there's one. See how good you are on the fly, Lucy. <laughs> okay. So uh, is, this is a quite well-known story now because it is 11 years old. So in various places I've been able to make this story applicable to, the, to my audience. Sometimes it's just for, in the interest of fun, I'm going to end this speech on, so I've done a whole section on how to bring fun into your work and why fun is crucial for staff retention and that sort of stuff. So I've done a whole section on fun. And then in the interest of fun, I'm going to leave you with this cracking story. And it's my story and it's the birth of my second child. So she was born uh, at Christmas time and she was early. And we always had this huge family Christmas party. So most people can relate to Christmas parties and the birth of babies and um, audiences love this one. But she, I went into labour as the first guests started arriving at that party. 
And I thought, I've got 24 hours to have this baby because my last baby took 24 hours from start to finish. And I thought, I've got 200 bucks worth of sausages on the, on the barbecue, I've got to get this thing going. So I, my head was not in my uterus and I was ignoring the very clear signs that I was going into full-on roaring labour. Within about half an hour, I couldn't speak through contractions and I had to just opt out of the party. I got my husband's attention. I ran up the hall and I remember the last thing I did before I, I opted out of that party for good was I cranked up the stereo because I'm a very loud birther. And last time I screamed that hospital down. And so I cranked up the stereo so I could, I could holler as loud as I wanted to. And, uh, and I still remember the song was My Sharona, uh, which is a pretty cool birth song. So then I ran into, um, into the, my ensuite bathroom and honestly two contractions later her head popped out. And as her head popped out, my husband was standing in the bathroom door with a beer in his hand, none the wiser, no idea I was in labour. And he says to me, what do I do? And I said, put the beer down because on the next push you are catching this baby. <laughs> and he did exactly as he was told. Put the beer down and she came rocketing out and uh, he caught her. And then I uh, eventually the midwife showed up. She did the business end of the deal and then I had a shower, got dressed, wrapped up my baby and went out into the party and had champagne. So it was a pretty, <laughs> pretty, pretty. That is an awesome story. Pretty unusual story. And I told that a couple of years ago, and there were three people in the audience who were there at that party when Harlow was born. Uh, so that's incredible. yeah, that was. So they they can verify it's a true story, not making this stuff <laughs> yeah, up. They could. Yeah, lots of fun. Cool. So um, as we head towards the end of the interview, do you have any mentors or inspirational figures that have kind of powered you through in your career or in your life? And what have they taught you? In my life, I've had a, a lot of different people who've inspired me. But in the speaking career side of things, unusually, it's a guy called Bernard Salt. And he sort of took me under his wing about two years ago. We went on a national roadshow together and spoke in six locations. And he spoke on demographics. And I was speaking on social media, actually. And um, he was so fantastic. He gave me so much advice about how to run your your speaker business, how to look after yourself uh, on the trail. Um, he, I remember asking him, I, I noticed, Bernard, that you don't drink at all. And he said, when I started on the speaker's trail, my body couldn't cope with doing breakfast gigs on a plane, a dinner gig and drinking and getting up the next morning, catching a plane, doing the next gig. And he said, I gave up alcohol for good. And so I've never, ever drunk on the job after learning that from Bernard. And also saying, yeah, he's amazing. He's actually was one of our early podcast interviews too. And um, I've seen him present and he's a master at what he does. He's fantastic. He's, he's the master of, I've learned from him about owning the stage. Don't hide behind a lectern, own the stage, where to stand. He's nice and pacey. He's really funny. Um, but you learn a lot when you, when you hear Bernard speak. Um, I've never been bored when I hear him speak and I've heard him give the same speech, you know, six times on that, on that particular trip and it didn't bore me at all uh, so I learned to, I've learned a lot from him and he's a he's a really generous good guy excellent so if we want to um, finish up now the the last bit of advice I'd love to hear from you anyone who wants to get better at public speaking do you have any top one or two tips what would they be and why I would say start out by practicing uh, doing free gigs. So there are hundreds of rotary clubs all over Australia and they need a speaker every week at every single one of those clubs. So do 50 rotary clubs with a cracker speech until you've got that honed and rotary is a tough audience. To make them laugh is you've really got to work hard. 
Um, so start by, by practicing and, uh, and then get some really good video. Once you have video, your videos sell your speaking work. So I have I only have two really good videos at the moment and they trigger so much work for me. It's fantastic. And I only got those in the last three years. So um, start by doing free gigs in places like Rotary Clubs and, um, and get some good video and then go, go, go. Excellent. Well, it's been a pleasure to chat to you today. I've learned so much. And as a speaker, I'm always looking for new tips myself. So if you want to connect further with Lucy, we'll have her details on our show notes. You've been listening to The Politics of Everything. I'm Amber Danes. Until next time, be well. Thanks for listening today. If you've enjoyed The Politics of Everything, we thrive on feedback. So please add a short review and share the podcast with your network, your friends and family. I'm also always on the hunt for fabulous new guests. So if you've got a view to share and an idea how to get our listeners excited, please email me at amber at bespokecoms, that's B-E-S-P-O-K-E-C-O-M-M-S dot com dot A-U and we'll be sure to get back to you. Until next time.